Take your Bible and open up for a few moments to the book of Romans, chapter number 1. The book of Romans, chapter number 1. Well, I'll pick back up my theme, finally. I have waited for a few weeks, and I want to talk about some more of the Reformation that occurred a little over 500 years ago. This month, of course, is... I have named it Reformation Month. That's what I've called it. So I'm starting a new trend. I hope you're with me. This is Reformation Month in October. And I want to read to you in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. It was actually Martin Luther who wrote that song that we just sang. And he wrote it after his conversion while he was fighting the great evils of his day. And a plague was happening. People were dying. It was about as bad as it could get. And he pins one of the most strongest, darkly sound songs of the confidence in God that you could pin. He wrote that song. I love that song. Look in Romans 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It was October 31st, 1517 when Luther, an Augustinian monk, nailed his 95 Theses to that castle church door there in Germany. This was a shot heard around the world. It launched the Protestant Reformation. Philip Schaff said, the Reformation is literally the turning point of modern history. That's quite a statement. Before the Reformation in the 1500s, organized Christianity bore little resemblance to its earliest days. This time period was known as the Dark Ages. It was dominated by the false doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. The organized church had abandoned its prophetic voice and it had become a political force. It was trusting not in God's wisdom, power, and strength, but rather in its own. The finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary had been replaced with the ritual of the idolatrous Catholic Mass, sacrificing the Lord Jesus to anew whenever the congregation gathered, which is nothing short of blasphemy. The people's hope in that day was not in the righteousness of Christ alone, But instead, it rested in their ability to meet the commands of God. The Bible, written to the common man, had been snatched from his grasp, its contents known only to an elite few. Enter Martin Luther. Now, I'm not a Lutheran. Amen? I'm a Baptist. I'm a Reformed Baptist. But Luther, we need to chew up the meat and spit out the bones with Luther. There were some things we disagree with. There were some things he said towards the end of his life that was completely and totally wrong. They had a context for him that we can discuss at a later time. But we give honor to where it's due. Amen? This man influenced quite a bit in his day. Born 1483 to a copper miner. His father put him into law school where he received a bachelor's and master's degrees. I mean, he had an exceptional mind trained in legal studies. This would serve him well later. In 1505, he was caught in a thunderstorm and lightning struck so close to Luther that it knocked him to the ground and he cried out, Help me, St. Anna, and I'll become a monk. Well, he was saved and he entered then, made good on his word, into the rigorous Augustinian order, and he in fact became a monk. 
With this dramatic step from law toward the monastery, Luther set off, listen, on a quest to find acceptance with God. MacArthur comments, Before Luther was a clear-headed theologian, he was a confused monk. Before he was a powerful force, he was a tormented failure. Before he had spiritual peace, he lived in constant spiritual pain. Luther was so profoundly depressed, so overwrought with guilt, that he lived with constant anxiety and fear. He was terrified of God. Luther would taught, he was taught like all monks that salvation is by grace, but you have to earn that grace. In other words, you have to reach a certain point of worthiness in your life and accumulate a certain amount of merit. And if you're worthy enough, God will then grant you grace. So in order to become worthy, Luther went to the very extremes. I mean, he gave himself over to every conceivable, severe discipline that he could. He renounced all self-will. He was told that if his food was meager, that was a way to the worthiness that God desired. So he ate meager food. They were also told that if they struggled with uncomfortable clothing and some other additional things in their shoes and around their waist that inflicted pain, that too could accumulate some worthiness for them. So he gave himself over to meager food, to the denial of self-will, to uncomfortable clothing. He wore spike strips trying to punish himself, making himself right with God. He went through sleepless nights and on and on. He gave himself also to the humiliation of begging. And although he didn't need to beg, he begged because he thought that somehow by begging, he could attain worthiness that would qualify him to receive grace. He fasted so often that his friends were afraid he was going to die. I mean, this man was extreme in trying to please God. He was so overwrought by sin that he would confess his sins up to six hours a day. And as he was confessing to his priest, a man named Stoppitz, he was finally so worn out by these confessions that his priest told him, Luther, unless you have committed adultery or fornication, do not come back. That's how worn out his priest was from him confessing so often. Luther said, I tortured myself with praying, with fasting, with keeping vigils, with, with freezing. The cold was enough to kill me. I inflicted such pain as I thought I would never inflict again. This man was serious. Well, in 1517, the Pope struck a business deal with the Cardinal. They wanted to gain some money to build a big building. And so they hired a marketer and they said, if you'll pay us money, we can get your loved ones out of purgatory. That's what they invented to, to gain money to build this massive building. If you will pay us money, called an indulgence, we can forgive you and your loved ones. Money for forgiveness. Well, Luther hears about this, and he's very upset about this. You mean it's that easy to just pay money and get forgiveness? And I'm going through all of this, and I'm trying to teach people about all of this. This completely contradicted his understanding of earning favor, earning righteousness, putting yourself through all this. So he nails his thesis on the door, on the bulletin board there at the door. Well, Gutenberg had just invented the printing press. And Luther's students took down his thesis and copied it and dispersed it all over Germany and accidentally started the Reformation. Well, 1519, he was called to a debate to settle the issue of indulgences. The Pope was upset about what he had wrote, of course, 
And Luther said, councils and popes err and they contradict themselves all the time. They are not allowed to establish new doctrines that are not found in the Bible. Luther said this, a simple layman armed with the Scripture is to be believed above pope or council. For the sake of Scripture, we reject pope and council. I stand with Luther. Amen. Well, Luther's breakthrough in 1519. He's going through all of this, and he's studying Romans 1.17. And he sees this word, the righteousness of God. And he said, quote, I hated that word, righteousness, because he thought that that's what he had to earn to please God. And it is. But he misunderstood this verse. He thought I had to earn righteousness with God. And he said, though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner, extremely disturbed in my conscience. I could not believe that God was to be placated by my efforts. I didn't love. Yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. I was angry with God. Indeed, if it's not enough that miserable sinners eternally lost through original sin are crushed by every kind of calamity by the law and the Decalogue, without having God add insult to insult by the Gospel, because the Gospel is threatening us with righteousness and wrath, thus I rage with fierce and troubled conscience. Nevertheless, I beat importunately upon Paul at that place, wanting to understand what he was saying. He studied that verse and that text. And at last, he says this, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words. Amen. Namely, in it the righteousness is revealed, as it's written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. And Luther said, I begin to understand that the righteousness of God, that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely faith, and is this meaning, that righteousness is something that God gives through the gospel, as it's written, he who through faith becomes righteous shall live. And Luther said, here I felt that I was altogether born again when I saw that what God demanded, God provided. And heaven's doors swung wide open to me. And he was saved. Well, in 1520, the Pope issued a bull demanding that Luther repent or he will be excommunicated within 60 days. So in response, Luther takes that papal bull, gathers all of his students together, and he publicly burns it in front of everybody. I mean, this was unheard of. Luther is taking on the establishment, something no one else has ever done. Well, they demand that he appear. And his friends are saying, no, no, don't go, don't go. And Luther said, let me tell you something. No amount of demons could stop me. And he preached his way from Worms to in every single town. One of the greatest preaching journeys probably ever recorded. And in 1521, he gets to the council. And he's asked, are these your books? And will you recant of what you've said? He takes a night to pray, to think it over. And that's when he gives his very famous statement. Unless I'm convinced by the Bible, I will not recant. Amen. Here I stand. God, help me. Well, he's given 60 days after being declared a heretic and an outlaw to get his affairs in order before he dies. And on his way back home, he's kidnapped by his friends. And his friends take him with a bag over his head up to this tower where he actually receives protection. And while he's there, he translates the Bible from 
the Greek into the German language so his people can have a Bible. What an effort that he made. He's protected by the political Saxony of Germany who offers him this protection. So he returns back to Wittenberg. He lectures on the Bible in universities. He preaches the Bible in the pulpit. Luther's many books were circulating all over Germany where he was under protection. And these books, listen, they reached across the channel into a place called England. And as they reached England, they were encountered by a man named William Tyndale. And the English Reformation was born. I'll tell you more about that, Lord willing, next week. Lord, thank You for the day You've given us. Thank You for the testimony of this man who tried harder than anyone I've ever read except for Paul to earn favor with You. And he understood that you can't just forgive sinners, but that the punishment for sinners was given and poured out on Christ. And that by faith, the righteousness of Christ is credited to us. What a discovery. Thank You, Lord, for His work. Thank You for His writing, for His preaching, for the hymns that He wrote. Thank You that His writings encountered Tyndale. Tyndale was saved. Tyndale began to translate the Bible into English, which is what we hold today. Thank You for the Reformation, Lord, that was going on in Germany, was going on in England, was going on in Switzerland, all over Europe. And that's why America is here. Lord, I pray that we would have a new reformation, a new recovery of the Gospel, a new recovery of the authority of the Bible. Lord, be faithful, please, to Your Word. Start a new reformation today. Use us if You would be pleased. In Jesus' name, Amen.